Coming up on this episode of East Screen West Screen, the podcast that gives you all bang and no buck. Paul and I will be talking about this year's Hong Kong Film Awards. I'll be talking about some of the Asian films in this year's Khan Film Festival, the new project from director Zhang Wen, um, and some of the Taiwan film industry protectionist measures and whether they're right for Hong Kong. And then Paul will be talking about Angel Whispers. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen. This is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong, China, and other parts of Asia. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his news desk in a dilapidated Kowloon house of ill repute is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hey, Paul. I, I gotta speak low because Kevin Carey Eng is stalking me. Oh, no. You, you don't yeah. want that to happen, as we're gonna find out. Yeah, she's gonna put me on, yeah, put me on stage and, co- and co-host and co-present an award at the Hong Kong Film Awards, too. <laughs> after Lam Shit did that thing. Yeah. Um, anyway. So how are you doing, sir? Good, good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Although, uh, unfortunately, I was not able to watch the Hong Kong Film Awards over the weekend. I was uh, busy with family matters, uh, as it were. But um, how, how did your live tweeting go? As usually, it's a, it's a much-anticipated function every year. Oh, gosh. Much-anticipated by maybe my parents and, and the two people in the film group. The film going group um not even my parents they, they're not gonna stay up to read that thing so uh no it went it went well i was joined by two friends um dana fukuzawa and koko shen they were also here um a year and a half ago for my golden horse live blog and you know we had a couple of bottles of wine and we chilled and of course they gossip a lot about the film industry because you know they know a lot of gossip um m- most of which i did not type on my live blog so uh, luckily for people in the industry but yeah it was lots of fun i hope that you know i want to thank everyone who did read it uh followed it live or not uh for reading it and uh i hope you guys had a good time and uh, i look forward to the golden horse awards coming up in october or november yeah and and you will be live blogging the mr hong kong competition too right Oh, that could be a new thing. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, if I get enough requests, I could, you know. No, I, I you know, I shouldn't be snarking, and you know, I, I guess, I guess I, I have to do Mr. Hong Kong or, or whatever. What is it called, Mr. Hong Kong? Yeah, Mr. Hong Kong or Miss Hong. Yeah, I can't do Miss Hong Kong because then you know I'll come off as sexist, and yeah. I don't want to do that. And now just I, and I, you know, I, I can't have a live block stopping me from watching the the bikini the swimsuit section. So, mm. no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Actually, we usually do the we usually doing the uh, uh, the Love Issue Film Awards during uh, Miss Hong Kong time. Yeah, anyway, it's usually around that time. Um, yeah. yeah. Although we're getting a bit, so, I think a bit later and later every year. I don't even know what what's going on this year. I hope, but. Actually, it's good because I'm still not caught up on films from last year yet. So, yeah, um, I, I'm still catching up. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, right. um, yeah, thanks again for everyone for reading. And uh, yeah, I, I hope to keep doing it. Yeah. And if you didn't ma- manage to keep up, where can they find that again? 
on lovehkfilm.com you can find the link on the front page but yeah we're gonna hear we're gonna talk, be talking a little bit about the hong kong film awards and some other news um and uh, i think we're just gonna head right into that right now all right so kevin you've got some uh news that you're going to be bringing us a bit later but let's start off talking about the 34th hong kong film awards so why don't you just uh give us a quick summation and some of your thoughts initially yeah sure um in case you haven't read the news this year uh this year the top winner is Anhui's biopic, The Golden Era, which is uh, was a three-hour trip into the life of writer Xiao Hong. Uh, the film stars Tang Wei and a bunch of other mainland China stars. Uh, the film wasn't really um, expected to win the big award. It did win the Best Director Award at the Golden Horse Awards, and it did win, um, but it didn't win locally with the Hong Kong Film Critics because the Hong Kong Film Critics Society gave the Best Director Award and the Best Film Award to the Midnight Actor. So a lot of people were kind of looking towards that direction. But midway through the night, when Overheard Free, which became the biggest winner of the entire series by winning three awards, when that film started winning awards, I think uh, people were looking towards like, hey, Midnight After might not win anything. And they were right, because The Midnight After only won one award the entire night, and that was Best Original Score. Uh, meanwhile, the Anhui film, uh, The Golden Era, won five awards. Um, best Director, Best Film, Best Cinematography, Best dire Art Direction, and Best Costume and Makeup. Um, unlike last year's um, The Grandmaster, it is by far not a sweep and is actually a signal how how sort of different the many different directions that voters went this year the like i said earlier the base, second biggest winner was over her three with three awards best actor lao cheng won won best actor again um i think this is the second or third time um kenneth jung won the best supporting actor award for the first time ever in his career and the film also won best screenplay the last time that the, an overheard film won an award at the Hong Kong Film Award was actually back five years ago when the first film won Best Editing. But, uh, overheard 2 actually had 11 nominations um, three years ago, but it did not win anything. Um, so Ivana Wong, the, the biggest individual winner of the night, she received, she received actually six nominations by herself. Um, that's three Best New Actor nomination. I'm sorry, five nominations. That's three Best New Actor nominations a Best Supporting Actress nomination, and a nomination for Best Original Song, her song for Break Up 100. She ended up being um, a two-time winner in the same night, winning Best Supporting Actress and, of course, Best New Actor, both for Golden Chickens. But at the same time, she's also now a three-time loser. Um, what else? Okay, Rise of Legend. It has 10 nominations, and it be kind of became this year's Overheard 2. Uh, it only won one award, which was Best Visual Effects. Um, one award that did that did repeat the Hong Kong Film Critics Society results was Vicky Zhao. Um, even though a lot of the local the you know local audiences wanted Charlene to win for Sarah, uh, Vicky Zhao did win for Peter Chan's Dearest, and it was the only award that the uh, abduction drama won. Um, this year's awards actually a lot of different problems. Um, in my Film Business Asia article, I, I mentioned there at least two times when the director panel. Um, uh, cut off, cut off um, presentation speeches, as in like the introduction of the award. So, so um, Tom Wei and Eddie Peng were introducing the one of the awards. 
and they got cut off in the middle for the nominee video. Trey Hark was trying to present his life, the Lifetime Achievement Award for props man Lee Kuan Long, and he was also cut off in the middle. Um, and two of the three musical or two of the four musical uh, um, performances were cut off to commercial breaks in the middle. Uh, Gordon Lamb and now in hot water because he didn't know how to say the the name of the actress who was in Dot to Dot who was uh, nominated for best new actor and also made fun of the film saying that it, it only you know no one saw it because they only played in new territories which is not true um, and a lot of people are are, are and he's very very much under fire for disrespecting the the nominees especially Dot to Dot. Um, Jordan Chan also who is the co-host and also hosting the award for the first time unlike unlike Gordon who is actually uh, hosting for the third time uh, also under fire for slurring his words and essentially looking like he was drunk uh, the entire time Miriam Yuan you know came off as actually the best host of the night because she just did her job and read her script and uh, was you know quite 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 respectful um, yeah so very interesting awards this year um, like I said, a lot of different directions because a lot of different films were winning. Um, uh, kind of interesting to see how the industry saw last year. Um, the Golden Era kind of a surprise win, but a very safe win also at the, at the same time because of the type of film it is. It's a biopic. It's, you know, elegant. It's an Enhui film. Um, so quite an interesting year. This so-called local power movement, you know, with The Midnight After and Sarah and um and and you know dot to dot none of those films actually won they still ended up giving it to co-productions even though they were still you know hong kong directors and 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 hong kong actor you know like like lao sheng won um so interesting kind of a mixed year mixed bag year and the the award results sort of really reflected that i think so paul what 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 did you think about the results this year yeah well i'm glad that uh, i've already endured the three hours of <clears throat> the golden era so that I, okay. don't, I don't have to watch that again. Um, I, I think for me that's the biggest surprise, uh, just because it's such it's such a it's such a it, it's a, it's an endeavor, unless <laughs> unless you are really somebody who is is very much into that period of of Chinese literature, and um, I, I've said this before, I you know I know a little bit about you know, uh, China's history and that period and, and some of the people, some of the characters like Lushan and others who are, you know, being talked about. Um, but a lot of them, no idea. And I just found the film, um, and because and, and, I watched it with my wife, and we both found the film to kind of be just sort of this very long slog. And my wife knows uh, who, you know, you know the, who the character Tang Wei was playing very well. She wrote a paper on her um, uh, as an undergraduate and and even she found it, you know, uh, just kind of dragging and dragging. And, you know, yeah, it's historic and, yeah, it's epic. It's got a big budget and it's got the period, everything down. But it's also kind of just there, you know. It's, it's um, I, didn't, I didn't find a lot of the, the, the characterizations of the main characters very uh, deep or engaging, um, you know, on... on uh, on a level that really interested me, and again, this is just my my view of it. Um, in terms of a best director, does Anne Hoy um, deserve it? Uh, you know, I won't I won't argue against that. I think she's an excellent director, and you know, one of the really pretty much the only female directors of, of note um, that continues doing a lot of work in Hong Kong. 
And in comparison with, uh, you know, the other films it's up against, I mean, uh, I haven't seen, I, the only one I haven't seen uh, for that's up for Best Director is Dearest. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, you know, it's a deserved award. But for Best Picture, that's kind of where I'm kind of scratching my head. Um, because Even Nan Hui, when she when she look i know the film isn't perfect i know it's actually a lot of flaws and but you know she she thanked the award committee for the voters for um giving it a chance it's a very experimental film the way that the story is told breaking the fourth wall and and using you know characters to narrate on screen and the way that it depicts the characters she she admits that it's a very experimental uh way to to tell the story and she felt that the award was more for the the nature, um, the the experimental nature of the of the thing, and the more, you know, the fact that it took a risk more than the actual quality of the film itself, which she knows is you know not up to to par. Yeah, and I guess I I mean I'm I'm a bit partial to the midnight after primarily because it's filmed right where I live, pretty much right in Taipo. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there's there's a lot of recognition in that film, and it's a in it's it's in technically in the sci-fi genre which is a, a rarity for a hong kong film i was sad to see that it didn't get um anywhere near the recognition that i hoped it might get one of the big issues that i have with this year is the the role the role of best new performer um ivana wong was up for three different movies leaving only two other nominees um jackie Choi for aberdeen Candy Chung for Dot to Dot. And I think that's kind of unfair because she certainly wasn't the only, you know, these weren't the only three new performers of the year, if you really want to consider her a new performer, because, you know, musically she's been around for a while. Um, but really for her to take up two slots, um, you know, that two other newbies could have, you know, at least gotten recognized in, I think, I, I think there's a problem in the system there. That I think if a performer is up for, you know, a best new performer, you know, she's new, right? So one of those films represents her newness. The other two films do not, right? And it arguably should be, you know, Golden Chickens. That was earlier in the year. Um, so for her to get her to her to take up the other two slots, and again, this I'm not blaming her for this. This is the fault of the, you know, the 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 board that puts this kind of these kind of rules in place uh, i just think it's unfair for other new performers that they don't have an opportunity to at least get in there and get nominated and and boost their career somewhat well isn't this actually because it's, it's, it's voted by committee so it's not like one one a board of you know five people decides or anything but doesn't that actually is a signal that there were no good enough newcomers last year i mean actually this 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 is a very troubled category see, for this is, years this is, now i mean how do you define good enough there there shouldn't be a good enough if a person is new they're new right you're telling yeah, me that, yeah but do they did it deserve an award that's the that's their that's the question that they're asking do they, or that's the question do they that deserve they're, they're do, answering isn't do it? they deserve an award in contrast to who if she's gonna win for golden chickens She's not going to win for Breakup 100 and Delete My Love, like she didn't. But two other people who weren't going to win against her for Golden Chickens could have at least gotten nominations to show a little bit of spotlight, saying, you know, they're not really deserving of a Best New Performer Award, but we they're new, and we should recognize that. Rather than saying, oh, this person's super new, and we really, 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 really like her, so we're going to give her, you know, multiple spots. And that, that, that just to, seems to like... Me, a, I think 
to me, I think it signals more that the people who are voting they're not paying attention. Oh, I'm, right. Yeah, they, the only the only person they recognize is Ivana Wambaugh because shows up in these big movies. I mean, Delete My Love, um, Big Up One Hundred. Um, these are big movies, so that's and, the only, and and by, the only person they recognize is the musician. By extension, she got a lot of uh, screen time in you know the two TVB series, and you know she's she's up and coming, but she's been around musically for a long time. You know, she's not really technically new. She's just making this transition from music to TV dramas. TVB dramas and now to the big screen. And yeah, again, but TV doesn't count. Is it? Is it acting? No, award, I, so I anyway. know, I know. It's new right. for, <laughs> you know, it's new for film. Okay, the granted, but okay. even so, she's already a pretty big celebrity, <laughs> right? And the idea of a best new performer award really should be there to highlight somebody that the public needs to pay attention to more, right? Um, and so, I'm, again, I'm not saying take the Golden Chickens award away from because she was great in that. Um, but here, again, I think that by giving her two other spots that potentially two other new people, and if they couldn't find anybody, I think it's like, like you said, they weren't paying attention. I'm sure we could go back and very easily <clears throat> find a couple new people in supporting roles that were deserving of being in those spots. So, yeah. The interesting thing is that the rules are actually quite strict for best new actor. I mean, we've had we've seen actors disqualified, like the kid in uh, Lost in Time, um, Brenda Lamb in uh, Love in a Puff. She was disqualified from the best newcomer award because she was she acted in two other films. So it, it, it's very interesting that they they or, or actually another another thing this year is they gave Ruby Yang a nomination for best new director because. My Voice, My Life was her first feature film, even though she's an Oscar winner. Yeah, and she's like 55 years old and she's worked for 30 years. Um, it's just that it seems like everyone is trying to bend the rules to, you know, to for award for award purposes. And, you know, I know that you already have the notes about insanity. So I'll let you I'll let you go into that point. But again, it just seems like, yes, the rules are there and everyone is trying to find ways to bend it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so. Yeah, as Kevin mentioned, one of my notes here is um, Insanity was in the mix, right? Lao Ching Wan nominated uh, as Best Actor. He won for Overheard 3, but he's also in there taking up a spot for Insanity. Um, which, when did that play? Because it's like just only just out here uh, in cinemas now, right? There actually was a week of screenings um, in December last year made for critics because our friend Ross Chan, uh, he reviewed it actually right after he saw the film in December. So actually he had a review up for like three, four months now. And it was also submitted to the Golden, Golden Horse Awards last year um, in, in September, which is why Bao Heijing also had a, had a nomination at the Golden Horse Awards. So the film has been long done and they only waited until April because that's the holiday weekend and they had a chance of making money. And also they were trying to score in on the on the Hong Kong Film Award nominations. Anyway, the, the only and this is a this is a thing that's done yearly. Dearest also got nominations because it was screened for a week early. Sarah got nominations because it was also screened um, early in uh, in November. So any film that screens in Hong Kong for a week um, <clears throat> within the calendar year for uh, with quote unquote public screenings, where they actually whether you can actually buy tickets to them is another matter. But so called public screenings. If there's a week of that in the calendar year, then it qualifies for the Hong Kong Film Award. So that's how Insanity, um, um, Sarah, and uh, and um, I'm sorry, what's the third film? Uh, and Dearest. That's how those three films um, qualify, even though their actual theatrical release was this year. Mm. There's always nits to be picked 
year after year <laughs> with with, the, with these kinds of things. Um, and ours are just opinions on this whole uh, process. I was happy to see that um, Donnie Yen and uh, Stephen Tong, Yun Bun, and uh, Yan Hua had won for best action choreography for Kung Fu Jungle. Uh, I think that was well deserved. Although I was kind of split, I think, um, between that and uh, Yun Wuping in Once Upon a Time in Shanghai, which also has just some really, really excellent, you know, very practical um, action choreography in it. Um, really, if, if the I... Nomination clip, yeah, the nomination clip is very, very impressive. I forgot how impressive the film's action was. Yeah. Uh, best new director was uh, David Lee Kuan Yew for Insanity. And the best film from mainland uh, China and Taiwan, they lumped those together, was uh, the Gong Li film Coming Home. And kind of disappointed to see that my geeky nerdy buddies was not nominated. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. But that was a kind of fun film. Um, yeah, any thoughts on uh, on coming home? Have you seen that one? Yeah, I saw it. I saw it, and and I hate to do that thing where you know people show off and they say like, "Oh, watch that movie and where, where, where?" Because you know, I don't know why they have to do it. But yeah, I saw that movie last year in Con. Sorry, yeah. but oh, yeah, I know. Okay. I, I think it's. A, I thought you were gonna say, "Oh, I, I watched a... it in Gong Li's living room." I was gonna be like, "Oh, dude, no." <laughs> I watched it in Chen Dao Ming's living room. No, um, um, no, it's it's. It, I I like that film a lot. I don't have anything. I don't have any actions about that award um even though i think kano was an omission i think kano was a great um film and actually very great award baity film that that didn't get recognized for some reason i'm not entirely sure why but um you know i'm not i'm not you know i don't i don't object to coming home winning yeah so uh, please you know head over to lovehkfilm.com and you can look at the entire list of the uh 34th annual Hong Kong uh, Film Awards. And, uh, you know, if you have some thoughts on the, the, the nominees or the winners, if you think we're uh, crazy insane for our, you know, the some of the opinions we've uh, spouted here tonight, let us know. Drop us a line. We'll be happy to hear from you. All right, let's uh, quickly try to move on to some of the actual big news that Kevin has for us this week. Yes, okay, my turn. Um, the Cannes Film Festival announced their um, lineup last week and it's a huge huge year for for Asian films um, let's start with the um, uncertain regard section there are three Korean films I'm sorry two Korean films in that section um, this year um, that's Madonna which is the new film from indie director Shin Su Wong um, Shameless a, a noir drama that's um, Produced by Park Chan Wook and starring Jung Do Young, who you may know as like the very acclaimed actress who was in films like Happy End and, um, gosh, Jung Do Young. She's like one of the finest actresses in, in, in Korea, so I don't need to like. Was that uh, no. Under the Hawthorn Tree? No. No, no, no. Jung Do Young was. No, this is Korean Jung okay. Do Young. <laughs> uh, oh, duh. No, she was in Secret Sunshine. Uh, okay. The yeah. Dong film. Um, just one of the finest actresses in Korea. And she was a juror last year, so there's a con connection. Um, in the midnight section, midnight screening, there will be a film called Office. Unfortunately, that is not the Johnny Toe film, but rather the Office thriller um, from Korea, um, directed by Hong Won Chang, which is he was a known for a scriptwriter, but this is his uh, director debut. Um, there's also there are also two Indian films. Uh, Fly Away Solo 
Uh, and the fourth direction, the fourth direction was a project here in Hong Kong's uh, Hong Kong Asia Film Financing Forum in 2012. Um, on to the um, uh, competition section. Here's where it gets exciting. Three Asian films in the competition, the main competition. First, we have uh, Mountains May Depart, which is the latest film from director Jia Jiangke from mainland China. Um, this is his new film. His first film in two years since uh, Touch of Sin was in the competition two years ago and won the Best Screenplay Award. Jia Jiangke will also be at the director's fortnight picking up uh, an award, a Lifetime Achievement Award, and he'll give a master class. So actually when the director's fortnight announced that, I kind of, we already kind of knew that, oh, Jia Jiangke is going to be, you know, his film's going to be main competition. That film stars Sylvia Chang, Zhao Tao, uh, two main actors, Zhang Yi and Dong, Dong Zhijian. Um, so yeah, I'll be watching that, of course. Uh, you have we'll have a Japanese drama, um, Our Little Sister from Hirokazu Koreeda, the Japanese director, film that uh, I'm very much looking forward to. But the big one is Ho Xiao Shen, the Taiwan Altair. After you know, 25 years of planning and, and writing and development and shooting, he's finally finish with The Assassin, which is his first wuxia film. Um, the film stars Xu Qi, uh, Chang Chang, and uh, supposedly still he's still in the film, the Japanese actor Satoshi Tsumabuki. Um, there are some rumors that the film wasn't going to be finished again uh, this year. Actually, last year, they were already saying that it's not going to be finished in time, and this year, he apparently he's finally finished the film. So that's going to be the big thing, because Xu Qi will be walking the red carpet, and I've heard reports that she will also be in town with a major film production that will be doing a, a lot of promotion on the Quasette um, this year. Looking off the main competition, uh, or the main... Uh, actually, there is supposed to be 10 more films to be announced this week from the main festival, but um, they haven't been announced yet. Um, so there are still chances for more Asian films, including the new film from Thailand's Apichapong, um, perhaps uh, Kitano Tageshi, perhaps uh, Naomi Kawase, who was already in the competition last year, uh, perhaps South Korea's Im Sang-soo. There's also the entire um, Khan Classics uh, section that hasn't been announced yet. And sorry, there are at least one more film that I did not talk about in the Uncertain Regards section, and that's the Japanese drama. Uh, Journey to the Shore from director Kurosawa Kiyoshi. Not no relations to Akira. Um, Kurosawa uh, last time he was in Khan, he won the uh, Uncertain Regard uh, Prize for Tokyo Sonata. That was 2008. So this is a um, new sort of award-friendly drama and uh, another film worth looking forward to. Looking off the main competition uh, today, the um, directors Fortnite announced their lineup. And they only have one Asian film in the in the entire section, and that's Takashi Miike's new um, new film, Yakuza Apocalypse. Yes, it is exactly what it sounds like. It is Yakuza, and it's an apocalypse, and there's zombies. Um, obviously, it is not playing in the main competition of the Fortnite. It is getting a special screening. Um, and in the Critics Week um, section, another special screening will be um, the Korean film, Coin Locker Girl. Which is also by CJ Entertainment, who's um, who has uh, Shameless in the Uncertain Regards section. So four Korean films, three Japanese films, two Chinese language films, and possibly more coming uh, later this week. A very, very, very strong year for Asian films. Considering last year, we only watched, we only had, 
actually with four Asian films in, in all three sections combined. So a big, big leap and a very, very exciting year, especially uh, for people who are going to watch Asian films like myself. Um, yeah, uh, Paul, any, anything that sounds like it might be up your alley? Uh, too many. Far too many. Right. So, so hopefully I, I might... I, I, I'll try and bring my mic to Khan and maybe you can record an episode from, from France. Yes, that, that so indeed this, would be excellent if, um, if we can work that out. And if Skype will be nice Skype. and play with us. Skype. Yeah, let's see how French internet treats us yeah. this year. And, and if not, you know, just Skype from Gongli's living room. That would be good too. <laughs> All right, moving on. Um, so, uh, director John Wynn, actor director John Wynn, um, he finished Gone with the Bullets um, to a lot of not so good reviews in January. But luckily, he's already back. He's already announced a new project at an event celebrating his 20 years as a, as a filmmaker. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, John Wynn announced that he has already a next project in plan. Uh, it's, a no it's based on a novel called Shajin, or literally The Hidden Warrior. Um, it is a it's set in 1936 Beijing, and it is the story of a young swordsman who is trying to solve a five-year-old murder case in in within you know 1936 Beijing. So he's you know going around hutongs and the alleyways, and very much within the dark, dark um, uh, alleys of the city. Um, and anyone who knows who knows Zhang Wen knows that you know he's very much a Beijinger. Um, remember that he in the heat of the sun, his his you know big film, his first film as a filmmaker was set in Beijing, and he grew up in Beijing, and he is a Beijinger. So this is very much a return to his home. Um, and this will also complete the trilogy that he started with, Gone, uh, Let the Bullets Fly. It is what is called the, uh, the so-called Bayon Trilogy, which is a Republican, free Republican era free set stories that started with Let the Bullets Fly and then Gone with the Bullets. And this one will complete that trilogy. Um, the script has currently been written. It's almost done, apparently, or the la latest draft will be finished sometime in, um, in April or in May. Um, no set date for production, but at least... Um, Hopefully, we won't have to wait another four years for a next Zhang Wen film. Um, personally, I'm very excited to see him um, um, pull another project off, no matter what you know what other people think about Gone with the Bullets. Uh, I, I myself, um, you know, I'm actually not with that way. Actually, quite a big fan of the film. Um, so, so yeah, very very exciting for me. Uh, Paul, any any comments on your end? No, I I mean. Um... I, w I was okay with Gone with the Bullets. The first half, I think, uh, if I remember my my initial review, I really enjoyed the, the first half of it. I, I like John Lennon as a director, and I love him as an actor. I'll be interested to see what he does with this kind of genre. The fact that it's, again, set in the Republican era, I think, eh, not the most interesting choice. Um, but, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll live with it for his sake. I'm hoping that he keeps it... Um, a bit tongue-in-cheek though kind of like the last two movies i'm hoping it's it's a wuxia film but it stays kind of in that same style where he's doing a lot of uh poking at genre and and um you know playing with things in in a way that uh, we'll find humorous yeah the way that the story that he's, he's got here in murder mysteries is very much actually a lot of um what's the word i'm looking for it's very ripe for that sort of genre exploration. Um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting project. Okay, final story. And this is, we might take a little time with this. Um, two weeks ago, uh, there was a hearing in uh, Taipei um, 
over the Ministry of Culture's possible re reform of the Motion Pictures Act. Now, um, this is a that are about you know cinema and what what um, uh, cinemas can do and cannot do, what filmmakers can do and cannot do, things like that. And there's a possible reform of that um, to essentially keep up the times. And a lot of the film industry um, insiders actually appeared at the um, meeting suggesting that the government take protectionist measure to protect Taiwan cinema. A uh, um, one the, the, the head or one of the members of the Taipei Film Trade Association pointed out that only three of the 39 local films released last year made a profit. Um, and this is going up against 551 foreign films. So think about that number. A total of 590 films released last year in Taiwan. Only 39 of those films are local films. Um, so that already tells you that the local film industry actually is still very much in trouble. Um, so he suggested that um, local companies um, uh, get some tax exemption because um, a lot of the companies have to importing films. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the Hollywood uh, companies are exempt from that because they're local branches of foreign companies, and therefore they do not they're not importing the film, so to speak. So therefore, only only importers of independent films actually have to pay. Uh, for this tax, so so there there was some talk of tax exemption. One one um, company representative even suggested that Taiwan take a so-called screen quota um, measure, which means the law dictates that Taiwan cinemas have to spend this many days, a certain amount of days, playing local films. This is something that South Korea did for many years to protect local films until that the, the industry actually took off and. And the government reduced that quota drastically. Um, since you know the local 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 industry could now stand on their own against Hollywood films, but there's one idea that Taiwan um, Taiwan filmmakers are talking about doing. Even though um, one representative from the from a cinema chain was totally against this, um, another company mentioned that uh, a lot of investors are not entering the market because companies cannot enjoy tax deduction until three years of operation. Um, I guess this is to ensure that no one is getting into the film industry just to, you know, uh, for tax evasion. So the companies, so but that, but then in in this case, a lot of companies or a lot of investors are, you know, scared to to uh, join the film industry because they are afraid that they won't last three years. So uh, some some suggested that this three year requirement be be exempt. Um, so now this is where we bring back to Hong Kong. Now the Hong Kong film industry is also actually not. A very healthy industry at the moment. Um, we used to make 200 films a year, and now only 50 are being made. Um, uh, budget is a huge problem because you know filmmakers are ha having to uh, turn to uh, Chinese companies for funding, um, and the, the the Hong Kong Film Fund. We've talked about that a lot. They don't provide enough uh, subsidies, or their conditions are quite uh, sometimes unfair. Um, so what is the government, what can the government do to protect the, the, the local film industry, to make sure that people still go to local films, to make sure that there is still an audience for local films? Um, do these measures, can they be used for Hong Kong? Um, and I think these are some very interesting questions to ask. Should it, cinemas be required to play a certain amount of days of local films? You know, I'm looking at the, the, the cinema schedule this week, and... And the Avengers are going to be playing at all 47 cinemas in Hong Kong. 
and they will be taking up you know 60 70 percent of all all the screenings just like last week when uh, Fast and Furious 7 took up 60% of all screenings in China. You know, China's a huge country. Imagine how many tens of thousands of screenings of that film that's being played to take up 60% of all screenings. Should should Hong Kong get protection against Hollywood? Um, and what kind of measures can, can the government take to protect the film industry, to police the film industry? And I think these are interesting questions um, to ask, uh, Paul, what what do you think? Do you think the government should step in and help protect the Hong Kong film industry, just like the Taiwan film are asking the government to do? Yeah, this is a tricky question. Um, the 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 libertarian in me says no, <laughs> but uh, the lover of Hong Kong cinema knows that Hollywood is a big bully. Uh, and it comes in and it really leverages itself around in terms of screen time. And uh, yeah, the, this week, you know, we have no new film this week in Hong Kong because nobody wants to release against the juggernaut that is going to be the Avengers 2 movie. Um, but part of me, I'm kind of of two minds on this, right? Uh, part of me would welcome it because it means that I no longer have to rush out to try and watch a movie like the movie we're going to talk about today um, because I know it's only going to be running within a week. And I also know that I'd have a better opportunity to see it because, you know, it's not going to be playing at like two or three theaters at really odd times. This is kind of the dilemma that we're faced with um, with local films now is that they get a couple screenings, sometimes, you know, maybe two or three on a given day, so they're not like screened at regular intervals, and they're not screened at some of the more popular cinemas. They're screened at some of the cinemas that are uh, a little bit harder to reach for, for some of us. Um, and that's making, you know, that, that, that's kind of a downward spiral because it's harder for people to get out and watch local films, then they become less interested because, you know, it's not as easy, they're not as easy to access, and then they don't bother, and then the films don't make money, and then it's even harder for filmmakers to get producers to come on board for, you know, whatever the next film's going to be. So I can see how uh, putting an incentive to keep films in the theaters or putting in some kind of protective measures to prevent Hollywood from, you know, buying up all the screen time um, could be, you know, a good thing. But on the other side of this coin, just because the government comes in and spends money and says, all right, we're going to pay you, you know, if they're, whether they're paying the theater owners or the distributors or whoever, we're going we're gonna to pay you to keep this local film in the, in, the, in the cinema for five or six shows a day uh, for two or three weeks. No, no one. No, it's no money being exchanged. It was in, in South Korea. It was the law, as in cinemas. It, to in order to keep operating, they had to play this much. They had to spend this much right. days playing. But, but playing the local money films. is if they're if they're going to be giving tax subsidies for that, then that's coming from the government. Or if they're legislating that cinemas have to do that, then the money's coming from the theater chains, right? So there's money that's going to be coming from somewhere, and the real question is whether it's the government putting that money into the system or whether it's the theater chains being forced to put that money into the system, will the audience still respond? I mean, is it the case that, you know, that Avengers is going to be taking up so many screens because, 
you know, um, Hollywood's forcing that. Well, par- partially true, but also there's demand, right? I mean, people are right. going to want to go out and see that movie. Um, they're yeah. go- they're going to need a lot of shows. It's going to, you know, so the demand part of it's there. Part of me wonders, you know, all right, if they put a low, if they put the next Wong Jing movie out and and make it run for three weeks, is that going to be incentive for people to go see it? Maybe not, right? Um, because they still have this stigma that Wong Jing movies are, are not good, not worth their, you know, not worth their hundred bucks Hong Kong that they're going to, you know, be spending at the cinema. Um, I so, think yeah. what will happen though is that, what will happen though I think is that cinemas will ask for new films from local companies. They'll say, hey, look, we need new films to play. We can't keep this film around. And they will deal with film production companies and ask for films. And I think we may end up even seeing, you know, film cinema chains entering the production. Well, and this is, I mean, this is my, kind of my understanding of what happens in the secondary market, right? Where In Korea. You, well, yeah, no, happened. even in Hong Kong, where you've got um, the, the, like the, the now movie channels and things asking for um, directors to make content, right? So a lot of, a lot of right. the small, these smaller films, the expectation is they might get a week of play. But really what they're being targeted at is they're being targeted at the, the, the broadband TV market. They're being targeted at the, the cable networks, right? Um, right. And so I think that that, that expectation is, is kind of already there. Now, if we are saying we're going to roll back that model a little bit and, and try and get the theaters in on that, um, that, that could be interesting. But I don't know. I mean, what we've got, um, what have we got? Three major chains, right? We've got Golden Harvest. We've got AMC, and we've got um, what is four. That one? Uh, we have four. We have U, UA, UA Broadway, and Broadway. Uh, yeah. MC. No, no, yeah, UA Broadway, MCL, and 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 uh, Golden Harvest. Actually, all four of these companies each run a distributor. They both, they they all four of these companies import and distribute their own films already. Yeah, and they use the cinemas as as advantage for their own films. Yeah, and and again, this is in some ways why local films get kind of edged out. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's it's hard for me to say either way. Um, I I can see advantages and disadvantages to to uh, to both sides of it. I think for me, the main thing is anything that's going to keep a film in the cinemas a little bit longer and make it more convenient for me to go watch is is <laughs> a plus in my book. But um, is that really going to reinvigorate life into the cinema? Uh, not necessarily. I don't think so. Um, I think that that kind of has to come organically from the creators themselves and from the audience, right? The, the creators need to find that creative spark that's going to motivate the audience to say, hey, I like what this guy's doing. I want to see more of that rather than seeing the next, you know, uh, Hollywood blockbuster, and I think we've seen that kind of thing happen in history. We've seen that happen with in the rise of, you know, Asian cinemas. Um, you know, uh, Hong Kong went through that. Korea's gone through that. Um, you know, some people say that maybe Thailand or maybe Taiwan can go through that again, um, or Indonesia. I mean, there's uh, where the next wave will come from. Um, I think right now is is anybody's guess, but. Uh, I guess it could be Hong Kong again or Taiwan. I mean, I just China. Don't... China's where it's at, man. China. Yeah. Well, China. China, in in some ways, is kind of like Hollywood in that um, they tend to throw a lot of money at the problem. But money, money isn't always the solution to, you know, to creating um, 
to 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 sort of invigorating uh, in an audience to want to go out and be be excited about cinema. I think that there's been a a lot of attention on Hollywood cinema because of the flashy CD, CG and special effects, but that only goes so far. I mean, you know, we we could ra- ramble on about Michael Bay films and stuff like that until we're blue in the face. Um, but you know, just because you've got the fancy CG in there doesn't mean it's a quality film. But I think unfortunately a lot of people associate that. They say big action CG Michael Bay blockbuster worth my money. Um, whereas low budget horror film, ghost movie, city crime drama, not so much. See why learn talk about, you know, how to inject support to the film industry in Hong Kong and and whether you know what can we do to stop money like you said throwing money at a promise money going to save hong kong film industry um yes hong kong filmmakers are able to toy with bigger productions with money but had it has it improved their quality of their films has it um it's improved it's improved the diversity of their film filmography for sure but um you know is there still hope for the local film industry you know Wang Jing said last week that that you know hong kong filmmakers are just professional hitman that they should be able to go make films anywhere and that they should all move up north. Uh, and he said this in an interview. Uh, he believes that there is no no point in fighting for so-called pure Hong Kong films anymore. So when you have an industry that's torn like this, you know, some are still staying here trying to save the the local, pure local films. And then you have Jackie Chan and Wong Jing who are going around saying, yo, we should all just go up north. Who cares? There's no more Hong Kong films. It's all China movies. Yeah, I, I think the fact that the film industry itself is not united in this cause also kind of hurts hurts what hong kong cinema is going to be or it doesn't really help uh create certainty at the future of hong kong cinema or in fact whether whether hong kong cinema should hong kong cinema should still survive as hong kong cinema um all very interesting questions and i guess we'll keep exploring them as as new new developments come in but yeah for now i think Taiwan is still a very interesting model to look at, and 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 let's see how how Taiwan um, um, does in these these new measures. All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for news. Let's take a short musical interlude, and we'll be back with our movie review for Angel Whispers. Okay, welcome back. Our film this week from uh, veteran actress and new director Carrie Ng is Angel Whispers, a Category 3 film. And uh, I guess uh, not your typical Category 3 film for those of you who are familiar with the more famous uh, Category 3 genre of Hong Kong. Let me tell you a little bit about the story before I get into some of the key points about the film. Um, A dilapidated Kowloon brothel is facing hard times, but while taking a break during the winter solstice holiday, the girls, along with their manager, Lily, played by Carrie Ng, get locked in their complex and find themselves being hunted by a killer. 
Believing that she has uncovered the identity of the assailant, Lily attempts to rally the girls to fight back. But when it turns out that all is not what it seems, Lily finds that it may be too late to save anyone. Okay, kind of a very sort of generic uh, slasher synopsis. Uh, as I said, this film is a category three, mostly for mild gore, um, violence, and some slight nudity, and a bit of a, a bit of a shocker that comes um, about uh, two thirds of the way through the film. The film starts out actually with a torture scene um, that's a little bit slow in plotting, and then it shifts very quickly to a, a slow mo sort of happy hooker style party montage. And though this is a category three film. Um, I think I can talk about this um, with with enough uh, uh, enough calm in my voice. I will say to try and keep the explicit tag off of this episode. But just in case you have little <laughs> ones in the room, um, you know, be forewarned that uh, this is a category three film. There is uh, a bit of nudity. There is a bit of sexy time that happens. Um, but nothing overly so. I mean, this is not a, a sex and zen movie. This is not a, uh, um, you know, what, what was the journey, journey to the west, uh, due west, due west, due yeah. west. Um, this is not a movie like that. Um, so yeah, it starts off with this torture scene, um, a bit of blood, and, you know, a bit of screaming, this kind of stuff. Um, so basically, the girls work in this building, and the building is run by Lily, um, played by Carrie, who still looks fabulous i mean um she, she always looks good uh the girls are themselves are kind of broken down into archetypes you have um a girl named ching ching who's kind of this emo girl um clients come up to her and she just kind of brood stares at them and walks away um then you have um a girl named ping who has a daughter you know so she's kind of like the working mom working girl uh a girl from thailand called uh Anat, right and a girl named Cecile, who's a drug addict. And then there's the typical, kind of stereotypical, happy, um, fat girl, uh, hooker. And uh, who's kind of, you know, really into her work a little bit too much. Um, <coughs> excuse me. The film goes for some twists and turns uh, throughout. It kind of starts out as a pretty straightforward slasher and leads you to believe that you kind of know what's going on. But then it tries to throw you some curveballs, which I guess is to be expected. Um, and I think part of my problem with this film is that it seems like as coming out as a new director that um, the directors here felt like they had to strive for this to make notice, right? That they couldn't just go for a straight slasher movie, but it had to be you know, shocking and, and a little bit controversial. Um, and maybe they shouldn't have gone in that direction because uh, I think if they would have tried to tell this as a more kind of straightforward story, it, it might have worked out a little bit better. And I'll get into reasons why on that uh, as I get to the end. But yeah, so this is um, Carrie mm in the director's chair along with a partner named Shirley Young. Now, Shirley Young has worked on um, a bunch of other stuff uh, in the production aspect. Um, she's... Uh, She's appeared, I guess, as an actress in one film uh, in a small role, uh, Besieged City, back in 2008. But mostly she's worked as a production manager and producer. And interestingly, as I was watching this film, I was also thinking about last year's Hungry Ghost Ritual, which was also sort of the new attempt at directing from Nick Chung. And like that film, this film 
kind of suffers from uh, new director syndrome where you have the director um, kind of directing themselves which doesn't always work uh, that well although Carrie Ng here um, she's not quite as central as I would say Nick Chung was in Hungry Ghost Ritual so she does give quite a bit of screen time to uh, some of the young actors um, but her partner here Shirley Young got quite a few production credits uh, including including most recently uh, Gangster Payday and S for Sex S for Secret earlier this year yeah, she's the head of uh, production at uh, Sundry Motion Pictures. So all those films over there, they're they go they go through her. Yeah, uh, the, this this film, I think, I, I mean, I came away liking it a bit more than I think I liked Hungry Ghost Ritual. Um, it's a bit slow in the build up. Um, it tries to introduce you, take some time to introduce you to the girls and their various personalities, but we never really get too deep into them. Um, at least anywhere beyond the initial archetype that we're kind of being shown. And, and that's a shame because I think, it, again, if they would have focused a little bit less on the twists and kind of given us a little bit more time spent with these girls developing their characters, uh, it would have been more interesting, and, and I think the audience would feel more uh, when things start to happen to these girls. Um, the initial pacing, as I said, slow but picks up about midway through once things get rolling. There tends to be a, a pretty heavy use of loud musical cues and some sound effects, but it's not overdone. Uh, it's pretty close, but n not 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 overdone to where I, it was it was totally annoying for me. Um, most of the time, it's used fairly well. Uh, once you get into the story, though, you get some background on uh, who the killer is. Then it starts to fall apart a little bit um the motivation that they build out for the killer it, i i have a really hard time with because it just doesn't it, it just doesn't seem like um, there's enough there to fully establish uh, the motivation and part of the problem is is that once things get revealed once you get a more clear understanding uh, of what's going on there's a moment at the end of the film where um, I don't want to spoil it, but there's basically a handoff of a thing, and then that thing ends up being the device that um, kind of uh, sets up another twist, and then from there we go back in time to an extended flashback um, that takes a really long time, and it really kind of sets up uh, the the whole f you know front of the movie basically. And kind of narratively, it's a disaster. I mean, when you have to, you know, the use of flashbacks is something that I think is is very tricky in and of uh, in and of itself. But when you do a really long kind of like twenty minute extended flashback at the end of your movie, um, I, th I think it shows that that it's a it's a little bit of a of an easy out that you could have somehow interjected those things narratively. Um, more efficiently within the film itself through other cues rather than just using this long extended flashback. Um, overall, though, the acting, I think, for the most part is solid. Carrie Ng is, of course, really good. Um, Sammo Hung's, I guess, his younger son, uh, Sammy Hung, is here uh, as well. And he's pretty effective in his role. Um, Gabby Hoy, who plays uh, one of the girls, not so much. Um, she tends to 
kind of just brood a lot of the time and, and um, doesn't really uh, do a lot, I think, in terms of... I mean, it, she's effective in, 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 in some of the scenes um, that are supposed to be a little bit scary. Um, but in, in some of the other scenes, it, she comes off as a little bit stunted and awkward, I would say. That, uh, but um, the one interesting thing that I did find is the interesting use of gays here as a Category 3 film from a pair of female film directors and, and um, the, I think they both were among the writing team as well. Um, the, the, the way that they do set up some of the shots, both some of the violent shots and some of the sexy time shots. There's really only one sexy time scene. And there's no real nudity per se. I think they show part of a butt. And then there's a scene towards the end um, where you see uh, kind of you see half a breast breast so this isn't a this isn't really a sexy time category three movie um, but there is a couple moments of intimacy so it's very interesting to see how uh, kind of from a female director's perspective they take the idea of a category three film um, that's you know based around sex work but is also kind of a slasher film and the way that they kind of show emotion and passion um, and through their use of camera so it's kind of like a female gaze kind of aspect here that I think is is somewhat interesting uh, from from that perspective uh, one thing I did like this is not a China friendly film uh, by any means so if you are somebody who understands what I mean by that uh, and you can appreciate a film that goes for that um, th that's a point of appreciation that I do have for this film uh, on the whole, I'd say, though, it's it's not one to rush out and see unless you're really a big Karim fan. Um, as I said, if you're a Category 3 film fan, this is not your typical Category 3 film. Um, it's not going for the, you know, the true shock value of something like um, uh, The Untold Story, um, and nor is it going for being sort of just a, you know, sensual romantic comedy in uh, that kind of so it's like kind of in this weird in-between place so fan traditional fans of the genre might be a little bit disappointed but if you do like Carrie mm, uh, this might be one that you want to try and uh, pick up and see at some point in the future you're listening to the East Screen West Screen podcast Visit Comcast.com for more. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. You have been listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at Comcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T. Dot com, or you can follow us over at Twitter, twitter.com slash Comcast. Uh, we are also on the emails, as the kids like to say. Uh, did they say that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Eastscreen at gmail.com. If you'd like to drop us a line, we'd love to hear from you. Give us some feedback. Do you like the show? Do you hate the show? Do you want us to take our opinions and uh, stuff them in our ear holes? Um, Kevin, where can people keep up with you and some of the writing that you do and some of the hobnobbing that you will be doing when you go off to cons? Hobnobbing? What was that? 
Sorry, I'm, I'm too young for this. <laughs> also, you can you can teach your daughter to say the emails when yeah. when it comes time comes. Absolutely. Anyway, um, yeah, you can read my daily news writing over at www.fimbizasia.asia. Actually, no, sorry, I'm sorry. It's www.fimbiz.asia. Yay, I'm winner of the internet. Um, or you can just look up Fim Business Asia on Google, and of course, you'll find us there. You can also follow me on uh, Twitter. I am The Golden Rock. That's one word, The Golden Rock. I'm also under that name on you know various other media. So if you have, you know, if you are resourceful enough, you can find me on those as well. Yeah, or you can email me at Kevin at filmbiz.asia. All right. Next show is going to be episode 162. And I don't know, we might actually have a West Screen episode for a change. Uh, If we decide to talk about the 1,400-pound Hulk in the room, that being Avengers 2. Um, Because that's pretty much the only thing coming out this week, right? I mean, it's going to be everywhere on all screens. It's taking over. Um, so yeah, there are also two other films coming out in Hong Kong this weekend. You have uh, one cinema showing a very very successful Thai comedy called I Find Thank You Love You, a film that actually I'm greatly looking forward to because it was so popular in in Thailand. And also the uh, Edward Snowden documentary Citizen Four. Those two will be on limited release, Paul. Yeah, I, I think Citizen Four is already on iTunes, though, right? It is, it yeah, is. Yeah. But you know, you want yeah. your local. You want it's, it's, it's you want It's weird you that we got that so late. Though you know, that only would... after the yeah, only after the Oscar win did the. But I, I you know, sometimes I, I believe in supporting the local distributor and all that stuff. But yeah, um, yeah, but it's just yeah, so weird what... because I would have ex- that was a movie that I would have expected we would have gotten day one because it, you know it was it that was ground zero. Uh, you know, we were ground zero for a lot of what was going on with those events. So I'm surprised that we got it uh, as late as, as as we did. But I'm glad to see it at least getting some theatrical play here. Uh, so yeah, all that and much more on our next show. Until then, this is the East Screen, West Screen podcast saying, money can't buy you love, but it can buy you protection. And we'll see you next time. See you next time, everybody. And I'll be talking about some Asian films in this year's Cannes Film Festival. Jiang Wu's, or Jiang Hu's, no, f- <laughs> f- <laughs> f- <laughs> Sorry. Jiang Wen. Thank you. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong, China, and other parts of the A. Oh, this is crap. <laughs> 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 all right, all right. Tuesday nights, man. Tuesday nights. nights. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. okay. Did you see that? Kevin? Hello, Kevin. We've lost Kevin. Kevin.